I mean, I had the, the privilege to work in healthcare also where, you know, I, I got 40 something thousand coworkers who I know don't agree with me. <laughs> and, that's, that's a serious pushback right there. Right, right. So how do I, how do I help hear the voice of the other? And, and then engage in that dialogue in a way that we can help bring to, to light the gospel in, a, in, a, in an impactful way in their lives. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Thank you for all you do as a leader in your parish or in your business. I'm heading to St. Catherine's Diocese to be with St. Michael's Parish and Father Patrick Gilmurray. They have me doing a three-day Pentecost mission, and I am so excited. We'll also be spending some time speaking into leadership and meeting local clergy interested in parish renewal. Please pray for us. And if you live in that area near Fort Erie, come on out. Go over to their website. Today I'll be speaking with Jared Bryson, leadership coach, strategist, and founder of Emmaus Consulting. Jared is full of wisdom and has a crazy cool faith story. Enjoy today's episode. Lift off and the clock has started. My friend Jared Bryson is my guest today. He's from St. Louis, Missouri. He owns Emmaus Consulting Group. He's done a lot of work in strategic planning with large Catholic organizations like hospitals, but also works in churches as well, coaching for Catholic leadership. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ron. Great to be here. How did you get started in this whole world of strategic planning for Catholic organizations? Well, um, in the honesty, I fell into it. Um, I mean, literally, I was in a parish uh, working as a pastoral associate years ago, and they needed a plan. They had no plan. And so I started um, just reading on different ways to kind of figure out strategic planning. Um, And then I ended up doing a degree in organizational leadership and development because of just the need to try to figure that out. Um, Where'd you do your degree from? So my uh, my undergrad in uh, organizational leadership and development is from Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Nice. And, and um, it, it really kind of propelled my thinking in terms of infrastructure and strategic planning and what that looks like. And then, you know, doing my master's in divinity and doctorate in theology was just the the it gave me the context to do the organizational leadership development, if you will. <laughs> That's a lot of context. That is a lot of back work to be as uh, impactful as possible for the clients you work with. Like, way to go! Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. But like, honestly, I just found that parishes really need a lot, uh, and so I found time in there. And then it became uh, religious communities and provinces, and then various ministries uh, would pop up with a similar need. And next minute, I know I'm just. Seems like I'm always got one in process somewhere. So it's, it's been great. <laughs> so it's been good to you as you've kind of followed the calling that God's placed on your heart. It's funny, eh? How sometimes a, a, a need takes us in a direction that can, in many ways, seriously define our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's not where I thought I'd be. <laughs> 
but you know, I, I was in uh, my, so my full-time day job, I mean, I, the Emmaus Consulting Group was a part of my um, extra work that I do, the, the, the ministry calling that on top of it that has been yes. just kind of developed. But my full-time day job is helping, you know, Catholic healthcare do that same work, you know, but gotcha. do it in a way that reflects our own identity as a Catholic ministry. So um, it kind of is a natural fit and it really defines um, how I see uh, the work of the ministry kind of moving forward, regardless of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally cool. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your encounter story. Like when did Jesus become a priority in your life? So I grew up as the uh, grandson and nephew to two assembly of God pastors. Okay. And uh, we were, my family, we call ourselves Baptist by convenience because it was the Baptist church. It was two blocks away. But my grandmother and my aunt expected us to be there at their church on big days, you know, on, on those big celebrations. Um, but I was, I was in Boy Scouts, and one of my scout leaders uh, was Catholic. And one night, I needed to get some paperwork signed uh, for him to, so I can go to this uh, a national conference and do, and do some work. But he wasn't going to be available except for after a choir practice he needed. Uh, you know, so he was the, the organist of the choir. And so uh, one night I went to his choir practice. I sat in the pews quietly waiting for choir practice to go over just so he can sign this piece of paper. Um, and it was, it was several hours of waiting there, but it was beautiful to sit and wait and be a part of that conversation. I just kind of listening to the music, sitting in this dark, you know, the, the images, so over here in this choir loft area is where the lights were on, but the rest of the church was kind of dark. Um, and I'm just sitting there, and then the local priest in that parish came over to listen to choir and sit with it. And he and I struck up a conversation. Um, and there was something in that conversation just made me, hmm. Uh, now, growing up in a very Protestant household, um, you had certain things that you believed about the Catholics, whether they were right or not. Mm. Fair enough. And so knowing that my advisor at the time was um, a Catholic and involved and he signed off in the paperwork and I went to the conference, but the question kept stirring up in me, like, what's going on here? Um, we would go on camping trips and we do things and, and all the Catholics stopped on Saturday night and went into town um, and they went to mass. While, and, we, and dinner was always delayed on Saturday night because we had to wait for the Catholics to get back from mass. But all the Protestants, we just kind of sat around the campfire like nothing was different. And then on Sunday morning, we'd pack up and go. And so I'm like, what's this about? And I kept asking. So I, I started asking my advisor more questions. Uh, and then he invited me to mass once. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what you all believe. I was a little, little nervous about it all. But then I get in there and it's like, it's rich with scripture. Here I'm thinking, they don't believe scripture. They don't do, they do. but like, it's, <laughs> it's everywhere, right? So then I started this whole kind of journey in questions and that priest and I kept in dialogue um, for a while. And so at the age of 17, I like, okay, I'm going to hide my books underneath my bed. So no one in the family knows what's going on. Um, but I, I went down this path and I was, wow. I was kind of slated to be the family minister that would, you know, it's one day take over grandma and my aunt's church. But um, that day never came because when I mm. started that path in RCIA and became Catholic at the age of 17. So on April 10th wow. of that year, it was 
um, Easter vigil, and I was baptized, confirmed, and first Eucharist. Um, and it was it, 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 that has changed my direction. Um, so that's the, that's the kind of the quick part of that story. Um, and that's been, a cool story. There's been many years since then, but <laughs> yeah, that's a few things have happened since. What a brave man you were as a young man. Like that wouldn't be easy being so rooted and steeped in, in, you know, it wasn't like you came from a family that wasn't practicing their faith. They were. And and yet you were feeling called to research and, you know, get your own perspectives. And wow, that, that, that takes a lot of courage. It was, um, I, I never thought of it as courageous. I always thought it of, of this is, this is what I have to do to live out my trajectory. So I was always, as my mom would say, I was always the one, even coming out of the womb, that was going to tell everybody else what I was going to do. <laughs> um, and and I don't see myself that way, but I was always charting my own path. And so when when I told her that I had started RCA, she was like, well, doesn't really surprise me that you're going to do your own thing. So... <laughs> Isn't that funny that she could see your personality, right? Like you say, coming out of the womb, she could sense this, this, this curious, free-spirited, determined young man in yeah. diapers. <laughs> in diapers, right? It was, it was, it was very interesting. But you know, it it took a while actually for the rest of the family to kind of reconcile with that. Of course. I moved, I had to move away for several years uh, for study and because I, I got really serious about it. I went to a Catholic uh, college uh, just for some more in depth. And then I came back and I finished at a, a local Methodist college. Um, but then I went back and did my MDiv and did my, but mm. it wasn't until after my MDiv that really there was some reconciliation with the larger family. Mm. Um, yeah. But it took a while and, but we got there. So praise God. Yeah. One of the other podcasts I didn't actually, I was just listening to it yesterday with a couple that I'm staying with here in Indiana um, with a friend of mine who's uh, Lutheran and, and, you know, boy, they were all Lutheran forever. And then, you know, he says, he, he goes on to say how many people in his family married Catholics and how many Catholic grandkids they have and stuff. And they've had to wrap their head around this, this, you know, yeah, and and I'm sure that is challenging for families, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, that's so cool. And so you and I met just so that our listeners know you and I are doing a course together right now, the Encounter Absolutely. School of Ministry. And that's how you and I met and connected, which is a ton of fun. We'll go look it up if you're listening. Um, and that's how the, how we connected. And the whole idea of uh, you doing leadership coaching for churches as obviously that's something I'm passionate about it. And I just wonder what, what kinds of trends are you seeing? What are you seeing? And in, in well, tell, tell me the type of work you're doing with parishes and then maybe a little bit about what you're seeing. Uh, you know, some of the things that I'm uh, kind of the work that I really engage with mostly is, is trying to help parish leaders see some of the larger stuff that's going on in society. Um, it, one of the, one of the big things is really the shift around, you know, their front door is no longer on Main Street America. The front door is now here on this screen, uh, and, and and just trying to get them to help to see what the differences are that are that are starting to develop in society and try to help navigate some of those. I, you know, I 
I think I end up um, many times in an interesting generation. So I'm a Gen Xer and mm-hmm. everything about being a Gen Xer is never talked about. Uh, but but I see as and even the jaded part of us as Gen Xers, right? Um, but I see myself as the translator, really a translator from a baby boomer mentality um, that that is one way, and also this millennial and Gen Z that I'm mm. I'm I'm even closely connected with. But how do we translate? Um, you know, recognizing that I grew up with eight tracks as much as I grew up with a DVD, and you know now I have Netflix or whatever else, right? All of those different iterations of technology are, are have been a part of my life. My my kids though will never know unless I decide to go find one of the eight track players that were you know was it my my grandpa's. That's garage. right. Hook it up to an old pair of speakers that are sitting somewhere that you can uh, that you right. can uh, hook up. That's all. That's so funny. That's a good point. Yeah. So sometimes sometimes just being a translator is is what I see happening. But also, you know, people go into ministry. Um, want to really help people and be with people and walk with people. They don't necessarily go into ministry thinking about, okay, I've got to, what's the larger picture and vision strategic plan that I've got to keep in mind. Um, but yet they need to know the kingdom vision and they need to know the mission, uh, what it means to be church and how that plays out in the day to day. Um, so sometimes we've got, or, or we've got the big theory and we don't know how it practical uh, comes out. So I spent a lot more time kind of coaching in those areas. Um, but like trend data that I, that I think I see is this movement out of, um, and, and we're, I live in the Midwest and I, I deal mostly in the Midwest. So we're a little insulated from things. And so we're also a little slower sometimes to feel the effects of what's been happening elsewhere. Um, but the the shift from a Christendom mindset where all of the culture and all of the entities really support being Christian, whether you believe it or not, to an apostolic mindset that says, you know, the, the world around us doesn't always support being Christian. And yet we need to we need to talk about what that looks like and we need a, a witness what it looks like differently in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big, that's kind of like, in my mind, the biggest trend, it, it, it comes, that title, Christendom to Apostolic, comes from a book, but um, it, it's, it, it's helped me kind of frame some of the big shifts that are needed, um, it, it, especially in terms of how we operate as leaders. So often we started with, the, at least here in, in my area, we start with the process of, it's Sunday, you have a Sunday obligation to come to church. Well, that only plays out in a Christendom mindset when the world around you supports Sunday coming to church. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's still an obligation. Yes, it's still a part of who we are as church, but the way in which we get to speak to people differently and translate about that is really has to be much more apostolic. Why would you come to church on Sunday? Not it's an obligation. It doesn't work that way. Like, so what is it that drives Mm. people and can help move that community and that, that, um, kind of process forward. So those, those are some of the big shifts that I start to see, um, mm-hmm. but also how people find themselves as co-responsible. So how do we help the baptized not see themselves as a pray, pay, and obey moment, but to really see themselves as they're the ones that bring to life the physical presence of Jesus in our community as well. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do they bring Christ's presence into this world and how do they how are they co-responsible for the church 
with mm. the clergy, not, not separate from, not under uh, the, the rule of, but really with, as, as right. baptized. So how do you go about doing that? Like what's in, in the title, or maybe share with us some success that you're seeing, or, or even if it's budding success in some of the work that you're doing with some of the churches, like what are, what are, what's, how's that trans, transition take place? And what are some of the success things that you're seeing? Yeah. So I have a, um, a men's group that I work with periodically. Uh, and I'm actually okay. a member of that men's group as well. So it's like, sometimes I, I have a, a thin line between being a member of that group and, and helping to kind of help move them forward. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. It's player coach. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, having them dive into scripture and tradition and just understanding a clearer identity of what it means to be baptized. It's been transformational watching these guys come in as, you know, we just, we're just here to, to be the service crew for the, for the church. We're the guys who do all the cleanup. We do the maintenance, whatever it is that they need to be like, no, 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 no. It really is something when we thought, start thinking about what's it mean for us and our own faith development. Um, what's it mean for our families? What's it mean for uh, this community when we start doing outreach? So they're, they're starting to take on the identity to see themselves as, oh, if, if Christ is concerned about these little things in my life, that means he's also concerned about these little things in everybody else's life or whatever it is. And, and, and how do we find ourselves in the, in that moment? Hmm. So watching them starting to take up leadership around, no, we're going to do Lexio Divina as a community. So that's, that's huge. You know, the guys who like, well, father, what would you have us think about to No, they're going to lead now a group of the other guys in Lexio Divina. That's right. That's huge. in trying to get people to, to own their, their part of the conversation, but also what's it look like when they're in the community and having conversations with their coworkers about their faith development and, and saying, no, I, I I'm going to miss lunch today. Cause I'm going to go to noon mass just, you know, I need to go to mass this week. I haven't been other than Sunday. I want to kind of go as a midweek kind of touch base. Just watching that shift has been fun to, to be a part of and kind of coach around. That's awesome. So it's what I'm hearing is it's a shift of identity that begins to take place and it's rooted in the relationships that you form and, and really bringing, bringing these men into a, a relationship with scripture and just reflecting on scripture and what God is saying. And you're watching that change their identity. Mm-hmm. And then that ends up changing their behaviors. Uh, yeah, that's so cool. And how is that? How does that translate in terms of working in partnership with the clergy? So what I'm hearing you say is, hey, you know, connecting with these lay men or these people in ministry and helping them change their identity, rooting them in scripture, that begins to shift things, which I can appreciate. I see that too. The disconnect I see time and time again is between clergy and lay people. I just see it all the time they don't yeah. know how to play well play that's just a, a that's a terrible term but i you know what i mean i just they don't know how to work together in collaboration in ways that there is incredible freedom and impact i, I don't see that a lot yeah I, I i i agree with you on that assessment um but you know one of the things that i also see though is if i can find ways and this is just for me um find ways to connect with them at a different at a different level um, one of the benefits that I think I bring in the conversations, you know, so I have a master's in divinity from a Catholic seminary. 
have a doctorate in theology from a Catholic seminary. Um, and, and, and my classmates were either priests or religious or other lay folks doing all the, so I've, I've been able to uh, spend a significant amount of time. And, you know, I, I kind of get a sense of what the world's like. I've been around a lot. I can't say I identify with the world. I'm married with three kids, but um, I did do that formation period, right? I, I did do the time as a, I was uh, a lay male going through the process uh, uh, for my own uh, degrees, but I wasn't in formation for the priesthood there. So it was just kind of like, I got to see and got to befriend them. What I find when I do the coaching for leadership in, with clergy in particular is really trying to help uh, speak to them at a spiritual level first. Because so often I find um, they, that I get called in for a pastoral plan. Actually, I'm working with a religious congregation right now that we get called in to do their, their pastoral planning process and their strategic plan. And what really it means is a renewal of religious life. Like somewhere we've lost our conversation around what does it really mean for us in clergy and for the clergy at that point in time to continue to renew their own life. Um, so I have found that I, I have to spend more time like, okay, so Father, talk to me about your own spiritual direction. Where are you in direction at? If you're not, let's get, let's get in it right now. Let's figure out you find a director. Um, how are you nurturing your spiritual life? What are your peers? Who, what, what's your, um, many of them have small faith communities of other priests that they, they may or may not have. So you try to encourage that, but really um, to find some time to protect their, their schedule. Cause that's part of the thing that as a leader, you know, um, trying to help them understand how to protect their schedule. You can't be all things to all people and you want to always be available. Um, my favorite phrase is an open door, an open door policy creates a closed door reality. Um, and if our doors are always open, then we're never available for everybody because at some point in time, there's someone coming in our door that's closing it. And so we have to find ways in which we block off the time to do those things that are which most important to us that nourish us, that kind of speaks in time. So I, I remind a, a couple of priests that I've worked with, what gives you great joy? Well, Jared, I really like to, I like to preach. Well, Father, let's look right. at your calendar. So I do basics, like let's look at your calendar. If you preach every day at daily mass, how much time does it take you to honestly prepare for daily mass? Well, I can probably do that in about an hour a day. Okay, wonderful. Let's block off that hour. Then, but you've got the weekend coming up too. So um, how much time do you think that really prepares? My homiletics professor, when I was doing my MDiv, she always said 40 hours a week, they should be thinking about their homily. Um, so that's a couple hours a day that they'd be doing some stuff, right? So let's, let's block off some time. As soon as we start blocking off time, well, then I'm not available for what? For this person or for that person? I said, yeah, you can still be available. So trying to help with time management skills, I think, becomes the practical. So like, here's a block of time that you can use for visiting the hospitals, the shut-ins. Here's a block of time for staff development. Here's a block of time for this. So how do we help them? And I, and I know parish life is a lot of fires that come at you. Um, but, but part of leadership is the shifting from a firefighter mentality to what's, what's really the gift of a schedule is, is for you. It doesn't, you know, shake your day all day long. It's not the tail wagging the dog moment. Anyway, 
but I, I tend Love to start it. with the spiritual and then move to the practical. Yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. And it sounds like, you know, because of your background in strategic planning and pastoral planning, that that seems to be your sweet spot, if I'm hearing you correctly. And then that's, that begins the conversation that begins the work. And within that work, you're checking in spiritually, see where people are at and kind of helping them along, putting, putting in some boundaries and some, maybe some good leadership habits to help them to, uh, you know, continue to excel at the things that bring them life. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great part that if you think about the appreciative inquiry process, what's that first question of most impressive inquiry processes, what is the thing that brings you most joy, most life? What, when you were doing this work, what gave you great joy, whatever, however you want to structure that question, but it's really starting from that place of when do you feel most alive doing this work? And let's start from there. And then we can figure out all of the other stuff needed for a strategic plan and that process to soar, not just, not just do the SWOT analysis that talks about your right. deficit, but really to kind of move toward us, you know, what's that aspirational look look like? So when, when you're looking at what's happening in your diocese right now, because I'm not particularly familiar with St. Louis, Missouri, in, in terms of the diocese and what's happening in the church there, give us a snapshot of the, of the diocesan reality. Yeah, so St. Louis just started this, actually this past week, on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, um, a new process of, uh, uh, called All Things New. And it, it's a strategic uh, pastoral planning process that will take roughly uh, three to five years that they'll go through. So when St. Louis was established as an archdiocese, there were many immigrants. So the Italians would come and set up their church. The Germans would come and set up their church. And sometimes they would not be too far away from each other. Um, right. And we have a, a, a very large uh, Catholic population. We were at one point in time, we were over 20 something percent of the population of St. Louis was Catholic. We're not right now right on 22 percent. Um, uh, but it's it's been culturally Catholic, although it's kind of in the way we've been losing that kind of presence uh, around the archdiocese uh, in the region. But what's happening is though, you know, we've, we have found that we've spent a lot more time ministering to buildings than people. And so we were, were overbuilt for who we are today. And the migration of peoples, uh, basically for us in the South and out to the West of St. Louis has also caused us to really relook at our footprint. So right now the Archdiocese of St. Louis uh, is is having a, a a pastoral planning process that starts with first and foremost unceasing prayer. How do we become a people of prayer? Oops, sorry about that. How do we become okay. a people of prayer to renew our our community? And then there is this uh, element of uh, how do we become a people of prayer who are geared toward evangelization? How do we renew our church and then move forward? And then what's required of that? So that becomes then that kind of structural change that will also need it. So we are projecting over the next few years that every parish, we have about 100 and I think 175 or 180 parishes in the archdiocese. We're projecting that there will be, uh, every parish in the diocese will have some sort of change. But the commitment of the archbishop is that every square mile within the archdiocese will have a vibrant Catholic presence. And that's just a different way of thinking than what we've had. And a vibrant Catholic parish doesn't mean, our presence doesn't mean that there's a parish every square mile. 
It could be a social service agency. It could be some sort of outreach. It could be a, you know, uh, a food center, whatever. So there, mm. that's now all in the process. And um, there, the group called Catholic Leadership Institute and um, yep. Father Chris Martin are serving as the leads for that. I serve on a couple of the steering committees and contribute to that as well, um, along with like thousands of other people. So that like, I'm not special in this process. It's just, I'm, I'm one of the voices. I think you're special just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> That's quite a comprehensive, I mean, it's exciting. And I know for our listeners all over the world, everyone's going through this experience. Like this is a reality that's global. And I know sometimes it just, it can be a very painful, uh, it can be a time of uncertainty. It often is a time of mistrust and skepticism. Like a lot of uh, emotions can surface as we go through this shift in the church's history and, and its presence in Austin life. It's not easy, but I think it's comforting to know that that really everybody's going through it. There's nobody's untouched right now globally in, yeah. in this reality. And so, you know, I often say to the churches and diocese I work with, it's like, there is no clear path from here to there that we can look at and say, well, hey, let's go see what Jared's doing because they're thriving because they've already been through this. No, we're literally going through it at the same time. And we're going to go through it anyway, let alone COVID coming. Yep. And so, um, you know, somebody's got to come out thriving. And why not you guys, right? Like wherever you're at as a listener, why not you guys? But you're never going to thrive unless we learn to trust and pray and discern and be great leaders because this process in and of itself is not going to lead us anywhere positive unless we are we get relationships right and we get leadership right and we get prayer right not in that order either <laughs> yeah like right <clears throat> you know because downsizing for the and not that that's i know that's a word that we could use other words, but, but as we're resizing, maybe is a better way to put it. Resizing for what? It better not be to keep doing what we're doing because that right. newsflash, that's not working. And so if we're resizing, I hope we're resizing to go on the offensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, because Jesus is just as relevant as he ever was. The need for healing and good news and transformation and, and saved marriages and broken addictions and everything else. There's never been a greater need for the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our capacity to minister from that space in this culture Boy, it has got to shift, and it's scary because we can't look back necessarily for it completely. We have to trust, have faith, and and not that we'd throw everything out. Of course not, but it's it's from a sense of apostolic being sent into the wilderness, right? Like, man, like without <laughs> we're sending you without your purse, without your sandals. <laughs> like, don't yep. take anything with you. Just go. It's like, are you crazy? It's like, yeah, like this seems like a little bit of crazy is not a bad ingredient in leaders in this season of the church. And I think a little bit of crazy with a whole lot of faith and a willingness to grow as a leader is really going to be an, it's an exciting season for people who are apostolic. It's horrifying for people who are 
probably leading more out of a place of um, shepherding mm-hmm. because people are scared. They're going to complain and you're going to be losing people. And for shepherds, that's going to be absolute utter agony. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the ability to walk with people. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I, I, my consulting group is called Emmaus is right. how do we, how do we walk with people to help get them along the way so that maybe one day again, their hearts will burn within them. That's, that's really yeah. kind of the, the, the big kicker for me. Like, how do we do that? And that's the beauty of the coaching that you do, because <clears throat> no matter if you're a shepherd leader, apostolic leader, prophetic leader, evangelistic leader, uh, when you come alongside of somebody, you really get to know them and you get to know their heart, what makes them tick, where they find their joy. Then you can build a team around them because just as much as there are all those positives, we all have a bunch of things we're pretty deficient in. And unless we get comfortable with the fact that we are deficient in particular areas and can build a team around us that collectively we can make amazing decisions over and over again. If you're left to your own device, good luck. Like, Good luck, man. It's too hard. It's too it's hard. Too hard. And, and that's that's the beauty of the of the church. Also, you know, from a communal mindset, like how do we think as community? Uh, and how do we help move together as community? It's not me as a person. It's me as a we. Um, that is huge. Uh, you know, we're yeah, our own individual salvation is a part of the conversation, but we do that together. We don't do that by ourselves. And then the, to be able to differentiate between, you know, because not not everybody's the same in terms of influence in particular seasons. And so God surrounds you with people who have capacity and passion to do great things within the context of where you're at now and where you're going. Figure that out. Don't treat everybody the same. That's a terrible strategy. It's like <laughs> Jesus invested disproportionately in Peter, James, and John. Figure out who those people are around you. And then who are the rest of your apostles? And right. then who are the disciples, right? And, and and invest disproportionately in your key people in ways that align with where you're at and where you're going. And, and, and you know, those are the things I get so excited about. But no matter the type of leader you are, if you... If you can get there yourself, good on you. If you can't get a coach like Jared and uh, and and start working together in ways that empower people around you, you're not getting there without that. I, that's my that's my solid conviction. Like you're just not. You might survive, you might manage to climb, but you are not going to be a victor in this season of the church if you're going about it on your own. And even if you are. You won't be able to hand off. We won't be able to hand it off. It's it's all about you, mm-hmm. right? And that's another thing we have to get great. We have to start getting right as a church is figuring out how. What does succession look like? How yeah. do we set ourselves up for not just success for a season around a great pastor, but in terms of that structure going forward? Um, yeah. Well, and how do we hear the voices that we don't normally hear? So we're not in an echo chamber. Uh, you know, who are the who are the young people who don't agree with us that we need to make sure that are are in our ears every time we start to think about whatever we're going to plan on? Um, how do we get those voices? I mean, I had the, the privilege to work in healthcare also where, you know, I, I got 40 something thousand coworkers who I know don't agree with me. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's some serious pushback right there. Right, right. So how do I, how do I help hear the voice of the other? And, and then engage in that dialogue in a way that we can help bring to, to light the gospel in, a, in, a, in an impactful way in their lives. 
Um, because if I just come in from my world of view, who says, yeah, the Catholic church is all I need to worry about. And I, and, and it is for me, but at the same time, how do I engage those who are not, who's, who don't believe, who, who still see this as just a job, um, as opposed to being a calling, something greater than themselves. And so how do I engage in those conversations? It's so important to have those voices around me that don't agree with where I'm at. Um, and so often we in the church um, surround ourselves by voices that are like our own. And, and we don't, you know, and, and I, unfortunately, the social media kind of helps make that exacerbated, right? Where we can find sure does, yeah. our own little echo chambers of whatever side you want to be on. Uh, and, but recognize that's not the point. As a, as a church, especially as Catholics, we're both and. We're called to bring these together for communion and community. Um, and, and that's to strengthen us for what? For mission to go out. Mm. And so how do we help bring that together in, in many different ways? Um, I have a small group of people um, that I, when I've got things I'm working on, that I'll, I'll call this person and say, hey, I need this. What do you think? What do you think? Jared, you're just so full of it in this one. No, or, or great idea, but I'd suggest this. But these are people who I wouldn't see in the church on Sunday mornings. I won't right. see at the small faith group meetings, or I wouldn't see normally, but they're, you know, out in the community and they're thinking about uh, what, what life would look like. Um, yeah. You know, the Senate has been so great for that. It's like, I participated in the one at our parish at St. Benedict and it was awesome. They did such a good job, but I realized too, the entire way we set up St. Benedict Parish when Father James and I were there was with synodality. It was built right into everything we did. Everything yeah. we did was meeting with, like, we we weren't serving a community. We were the community. Right. Right? Like, it's like, like you know, it's like get in the game. Like, like you know, we are 100% fully immersed in the lives of the people we were doing ministry with. And Alpha when you have 50% of the people who come to your alphas don't even go to church, well, you're constantly you're surrounding yourself and listening to people from all kinds of different perspectives. Like yep. that whole synodality process was built in everything we did. And as leaders, we were fully immersed in the life of the church. It wasn't a job. It was our family of faith that we did life together. And so when it came to making decisions as leaders, it was so easy to be informed because we were never not informed. How could you right. be uninformed when you're fully engaged with this type of an experience? And I can't imagine doing church any other way and expecting to get any results that are right. worth your salt. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the uh, quotes that I use for pastors when I work with them on a regular basis to remind them that you were named the pastor of these of all the souls within your geographic parish boundary, not just the Catholic ones, but all of them. And so I, I know you know this, but, you know, it changes your perspective if you're thinking like the, the house that's three doors down that, you know, is a house that I probably would never go to, that they don't like us. What does it mean to be a pastor to them? They, they don't, they're not Catholic. They don't. What does it mean to take care of, like, I'm responsible for this, what is it, two square miles or whatever you've got. Uh, yep. of, okay, All of our the rural parishes are laughing their head off right now. Right, you know yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this 30 square miles that I got to deal with, yeah. right? Or 60 square yeah. miles. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I think it's, it just changes your frame of reference when you start to think about it in that broader attempt. And then, so who do you need around you then? You need more people around you at that point. Yeah. Amen. So what's your hope for Emmaus Consulting Group as you look forward to the next five to 10 years? What's your hope? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm kind of in this pivotal moment right now around um, this discernment process. Actually, the Encounter School has really helped me uh, with, with this discernment, what it looks like. Um, and, and Emmaus has really been around providing healing, help, and hope uh, for, for what we can do in the church. And, and my hope is, is, uh, that I continue to do that. And maybe it looks a little differently, uh, going forward. Um, right. but I'm, I'm open to that. Um, so as a, I'm an oblate member of St. Benedict. And so, uh, one of the hopes we have in our, in our process for, uh, oblation is the ongoing conversion of life. So I'm trying to remain open to that of what it calls to. Right now, I'm doing some strategic planning and I'm doing some coaching on the side, right? And I've got some yeah. spirit, spiritual directees here and there. But I've also started seeing I'm being asked to come to uh, prayer services. I was just one, at one on Friday night to be on a prayer team for healing. Uh, so, so just trying to be and equip people to do that type of work. So we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm hopeful for it. It, 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 it's a, it's a fun, uh, journey, uh, to walk with yeah. people every day. It's a privileged space, honestly. Um, yeah. and it, and it, it calls me to more, um, to grow deeper myself as a part of that process. Love that. Way to go, my friend. That is so cool. If people want to touch base with you, do you have a website or how would they, or they email you? What would they do? Yeah. So my website is emmausjournal.com. Um, it, all one word. You can easily find it there. All the contact information is on EmmausJournal.com. And then my email is just Jared H. Bryson at EmmausJournal.com. So I'm happy to always uh, entertain any conversations. That is so great. Well, listen, keep up the great work. It's so fun to watch you continue to grow and lean in. I mean, your life has been, you know, as a young man, just diving in and learning and growing and, and you haven't let up yet. And that's just so wonderful. The more you, the more you have, the more you have to give and, and you seem to be giving it away in droves. And so thank you for all that you're doing to build up the church. Well, thank you, Ron. I appreciate the opportunity and, and to talk with you. It's been a great journey to be with you. So I look forward to more. God bless you. Thanks, Isn't Jared's hunger for learning amazing? His faith story was something too, eh? I never grow tired of hearing how God works in the lives of great people. Thank you for making the time to engage in the conversation of leadership. And please make the time to rate the show five star. Share it with a friend. If there's anything that we can do for you around leadership training, parish coaching or diocesan renewal, go to ronhuntley.com and let's start a conversation. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Thank you.